I am God. Creation is singing this and preaching this over us every single minute of every single day, every single day of the year. When the lights are on down here, we see the wonder, the beauty, the variety, the power of God's creation. What happens when the lights go off down here? Above us, the worship service continues, doesn't it? When the lights come on above us, what happens? The wonder, the beauty, the majesty, the mystery, the expanse goes on preaching and singing over us. I am God. Before the Ten Commandments are given, this is what's said in Deuteronomy. I am the Lord your God. God clarifies, here's who's speaking these ten words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Christmas comes along. And there's an announcement in a virgin birth from an obedient mom. I am God. What's Easter? It's a proving ground. I am God with an empty tomb. You know, there's a second gift we want to give to all moms today. All of those maybe one day moms. All of those longing to be a mom. All of those who aren't a mom. And all of those born of women. If you've been sleeping the last couple seconds, that means everyone in the room, all right? Here's the gift. The gift is silence. I'm going to stop talking. We're going to use this place as a sanctuary. The rest of a verse I've been quoting says this. Be still and know that I am God. I'm convinced sometimes we don't know who God is, what God's up to, what he's like, because we don't stop. So in my household, one of the best gifts I could give my wife on Mother's Day, which is hard in a pastor's home, so it doesn't happen on Mother's Day typically, is the gift of stopping, the gift of silence. So why don't you close your eyes right now, And if you're new with us, don't worry, nothing creepy or weird is going to happen. Just use this moment. We're going to take what our culture says can be awkward and uncomfortable and do what Christians have done for centuries. We're going to recapture this worship in silence. Be still and know that I am God. Let me just set it up this way. Relationships with moms are complicated. That's because we're complicated as people. So maybe this day you were on the fence about coming or not. If there are fears and anxieties, use this moment to just bring those into the light before a loving God who already sees all. For those places of regret for those unfinished conversations that you haven't had with your mom, that you wish you could have had with your mom, that you as a mom haven't had. Let God parent you and guide you. 
Maybe there are dreams and longings. Let's bring that into the light and just be still and know that God is God. God, thank you for the gift of rest. Thank you for the weekly reminder to lay down our striving, our toil, our schedules, our titles, things we ask of others, things being asked of us, our to-do lists. To come and gather with Christians physically with a small number, spiritually, with a world of disciples. And this morning, we quiet ourselves. We've carved out time in our schedules on this day and this hour to be still and know that you are God. Thank you for gifting us with who you are. We would be groping in the dark were it not for your revelation to us. We thank you for that. Amen. Well, today is a pause from our series walking through Luke, um, and we're going to speak just specifically um, to moms today, but again, we kind of all get to listen in. I want to look at two very specific moms in the Bible, but before that, I want to set it up with a truth. The title this morning is Bless This Mess, and Bless This Mess is a a little prayer that's pretty portable. You can take that with you and remember that. Bless this mess is a prayer, and bless this mess is also a reminder of a truth that I think we need to hear often. Jesus tells us what the blessed life is and what it is not. The blessed life, the happy life, the life that God is going to walk with you and bless is not a life of perfection. That is good to hear publicly. That is really good to hear. It's not about keeping up appearances. Life is a mess. So to strive for a mess-free life is vanity. To quote the preacher in Ecclesiastes, it's chasing after the wind. To chase a life that is mess-free. To believe that life is best as far away from the mess as possible is ungodly and unbiblical. There's a lie that we get sucked into, and it's this. It's that there's beauty somewhere over here, and then that there's a continuum 
And the continuum says that on the opposite end of beauty is brokenness. And people are striving toward beauty. Sometimes what they're doing is this. They're saying, if I can get as far away from brokenness, I must be headed toward something beautiful. Some are saying, if I can strive toward beauty, if I can strive toward toward the ideal, then what I'm doing is I'm putting some distance between brokenness. I would hold out to you this, that actually, here's the truth, that beauty and brokenness are often side by side through Scripture and through your experience. And if there's a continuum... The other end of the continuum is a life of apathy, a life of slumber, a life of temporal importance, and ultimately a life of death because we weren't wired to be unuseful. I would submit to you that the cultural norm that we are living in if this continuum lie is that beauty is over here and brokenness is over here, the cultural norm is this. Avoid, isolate, insulate from the mess. Avoid, isolate, insulate. This is born out of an inner attitude that says I have to get away from the mess as much as possible. Even if I'm not moving closer and closer toward beauty, I want to I avoid it. At all costs. Beauty and brokenness are on the same end. And a shrinking, shriveling world that actually turns in on itself and consumes itself is on the other end. Jesus said words that make no sense to the modern ears. The ones who are blessed are... Those who give their life away, what are are they going to get? They're going to find their life. They're going to gain their life back. It's better to give than what? Receive. We might say these things, but many actions don't prove we believe them to be true. Remember hashtag blessed? A lot of times people wear that or post that when something, you know, great and grand and glorious that feels like moving towards beauty and away from brokenness is there. Each beatitude that Jesus spoke, exposes the insanity of the world's preaching. The fact that Jesus' blessed life seems so upside down and so backward at every turn shows just how far and how fast we are running away from him, how off track we are. To hear the things Jesus says and almost apologize to it to people because it sounds so counterintuitive. I was at a conference with Foster the Bay in Kentucky this week. And one of the speakers, she got up and spoke to 2,000 plus people from a lot around the country, but even from all over the world. Organizations there that that care about foster care, that care about adoption, that are leading the charge in leading Christians to awaken to this. Her name was Dominique. She was a birth mom. She shared the story how in Dallas on a November day, she went into a hospital and she gave up parental rights as she gave birth to her little baby son. That was in 2017. About a month into this boy's life, he became gravely ill. It was a closed adoption. 
That means that she signs off rights and legally terminates uh, her being involved in this boy's life. One month in, the boy gets really sick, and the new adoptive parents are caring for this child, and Dominique reached out to the adoptive parents and said, I've changed my mind. She changed her mind because something in her said, I'm the mom. I'm supposed to be caring for this child. What on earth have I done? The adoptive parents graciously changed their legal rights to welcome this birth mom back into the life of her son. So now as a birth mom and an adoptive mom and an adoptive dad are all trying to figure this out and care for this boy whose life was was threatened, some new complexities began to emerge. In fact, by her own admission, what she said was this, every time I was gifted access, every time I was gifted some form of grace, I lied, I stole, I manipulated the situation, and I backstabbed and betrayed the very people that really were serving me by caring for my baby. And then she says this. She said, don't judge me. That was before I met my Savior. She became a Christian. And what happened from that point on was this. She began to see how she was loved and adopted into God's family. And it transformed how she was interacting with her son. It transformed how she was acting and interacting with the adoptive family. And here it is, just a couple years into the story. And there's this picture of a backyard barbecue. And here's adoptive dad, adoptive mom, little son, birth mom. All being celebrated at a little birthday party. I can guarantee you that that's a complex relationship. But here she was willing to stand on stage as a birth mom and celebrate the redemptive work that God is doing. Beauty and brokenness go hand in hand. Why did the parents not avoid, isolate, Insulate, catch this, even when they had the legal right to do so. You know what I think the simple answer is? Because they're Christians. It's that simple. God sees hard places and broken people, and what does He do? He moves toward them. He moves toward us, church. So we can't raise our hands to a God who has moved close to us in our brokenness and then use those same hands to keep the brokenness at bay as far away as we can. Avoid, isolate, insulate. That's not what God is, does, or leads us into. So this is why the call to parent those who have no parents will never stop here in this church. That's because that's what Christians are called to do. Giving the gift of a mom to those who've never experienced the gift of a mom and the richness of what God intended is the gospel on display. Back to the two moms. 
The first mom I want to look at is the first mom, Eve. One of the unique features of the Bible is the way that the Bible, from the very first chapter, exalts women. From chapter 1, we learn that women, like men, bear the stamp of God's image. Genesis 1.27 Women play a prominent role in many key biblical stories. Women are cherished companions in the family, in the church, in society. They are not merely slaves or pieces of furniture. Children are commanded to honor both father and mother. That's a little later on in Exodus 20, where I just read from earlier. This was absolutely revolutionary in an era dominated by pagan religion and men who saw women as servants of men. That was true then. That is true today in our world. That God, through the scripture, through the law, through creation, and through the way Jesus Christ taught and preached and taught his followers to teach and preach, revolutionized the world for women. In the creation story, we see that God really saved his best for last in creating Eve. Think about it for a minute. Adam was made of what? Dirt. The man was made out of rearranged dirt. Eve comes along as the only living creature that is created from the living tissue of something else already created. 1 Corinthians says that woman is the glory of man. It really is. God saving his best for last. Now let me ask you a real question where I want real answers back, okay? What do we know about Eve? Just fire some things off that we know about Eve from the Genesis account. Let's hear it. What's that? Mother of all living things. Yep. What else? Mm-hmm. The original first lady. What else? What? Adam's companion. Yep. What else? Made from Adam's rib. Yep. Anything else come to mind? Sinned. Yep. Thank you. The title's called Bless This Mess, so we're going to get real. Yeah. What else? Helpmate. Yep. Okay. How about this? What do we, what do we not know about Eve? What she looked like? What else don't we know about Eve? Huh? Her feelings? What else comes to mind? A lot of things we don't know about Eve, right? How many children she had? had? Yep. Let me stop you there. It is utterly significant. This is a truth to hold that God has gifted to us. That feminine excellence is held up from the very beginning by Eve... In relation to her duty before God, or standing before God, a daughter, and as her role, her position alongside her husband. Whoever said we don't know what she looks like is revealing a really important thing. I think it's telling the second thing, we don't know what she was feeling. What is dominating? I just, went, I just was in airports for the last few days. So as you walk by the old school newsstand... I didn't see a single magazine that had character digest, right? When you walk by a, mu- a newsstand, what is it? It's beauty, power, trucks, toys, 
sports, entertainment, video games. The fact that we don't... Wasn't Eve a beauty? I mean, she was created by God, like all of us are fashioned by God, in a perfect place. Pre-curse, pre-fall. I mean, she had to be a stunner, but there's no mention of that. And that's telling for us as women, those of you who are women, I use us very loosely here. (laughs) And it's telling for us men as well. Young women, young men, children. It is telling what the Bible tells us about God. Proverbs 31 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There it is again. Did Eve know mess? Yeah, Eve knew mess. So right in the very midst of perfection, brokenness shows up, beauty and brokenness together, in the form externally of temptation and in the form internally of rebellion. Eve knew mess. In all that Adam and Eve sought to build and grow and delight in, mess was there in abundance right alongside. Beauty and brokenness were there when our first parents are in the garden. God moved toward them, seeking them out, engaging them when they failed. Parents, this is a model for us. What does God do when... His laws that are set up for good are violated. He pursues his beloved. He goes after them. Avoid, isolate, insulate. You know what shame does? Shame causes the wrongdoer to seek this out. I need to just avoid this. I need to isolate myself from other people. I need to insulate so it, my shame doesn't leak out. Fear causes the betrayed one to seek this out. Man, I've been betrayed, so I'm going to avoid that person. I'm not going to pursue them, engage them. Where are you? Is what what God came asking the question. So not only is the first mom on display that God blesses the mess. I, I wonder how many times she must have prayed, bless this mess. But so is the most famous mom. Who's the most famous mom? It's Mary. Luke chapter 1, we just looked at this couple months ago, but Luke one twenty seven says that Mary is most blessed among women. We have her song at the beginning. We see some of her internal struggle, but then there's only a few accounts of Mary throughout the rest of the New Testament. Children, I want you to take note for a second. If you ever feel too busy doing things that are too important to remember to care for mom, think of Jesus. In the very midst of of cleaning up and dealing with the sin problem of all of mankind. What does Jesus do? He looks at the beloved disciple. Who's that? That's John. And he says, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. What's he doing? He is setting up life for his mom because he knows he's going to the other side and won't be there. And soon he'll be going back to where he came from. While being murdered, Jesus cares for mom. And that's a powerful thing to any one of you adult children, soon-to-be adult children. Don't be too busy for caring for mom. Did Jesus care for every widow? The, the Bible says care for widows. Jesus sure cared for widows. 
But even there, you see this unique relationship where he cares for his own household. He takes special notice of the widow that he was to care for. Here's what's curious. Um, Mary is worth mimicking, but not worth worshiping. Mary's worth mimicking, but not worth worshiping. People make the error of raising her somehow to being a woman above the mess. And here's what's also curious. We do the same thing today. We as a people tend to worship those that we should be learning from. Instead of simply learning from them, we tend to elevate them to something beyond what they are. Somehow we think if someone can get this right, then I can keep striving for that ideal. I can keep moving toward that ideal. And I can get there too. Here's the trap of that lie. It robs you of grace. Who gets grace? Those who are desperate enough to receive it. Those who lay down their striving. That kind of life robs you of grace and also wears you out. What happens to your sin when you're doing this? It either goes underground and you try to hide it, or you just give up and give into it. You just kind of let go of all of it and go, what's, what's the point? And you wallow in the mess. Make people an example, not a God. Those who would make Mary out to be something she's not are those who remember certain parts of the Bible but forget other parts of the Bible. Early in Luke, it says that Mary was most blessed among women. People who worship her make her and, and remember that portion of Scripture, but they ignore later verses. We'll get to this soon, but in Luke 11, it says this, As he, Jesus, said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Can't you almost hear it? With a Jewish accent, someone saying, He's such a good boy! His mother must be a saint! How does Jesus respond? Here's what he says. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Get your eyes off of worshiping some perfect woman, some mythical creature that doesn't exist. She lived in the mess. You don't know what the blessed life is? How boring does that sound? How rudimentary does that sound? How much our pride hates a message like this? Shortest sermon ever. I could just come up each week. You want to be blessed? Hear the word of the God and keep it. Amen. Let's go do it. So Jesus says, though, just believe me. We just sang this. Believe. Believe what I say about you. The life God blesses is a mess. That is good news. That's glad tidings for us today, isn't it? God blesses the life that's a mess. Those of you here who walked in trying to hide every ounce of mess, cleaning yourself up, you're further away from God than those who say, here I am. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I'm poor in spirit. My life is an utter mess. 
If God didn't bless a life that was a mess, he wouldn't bless anyone. His grace shines bright in all of the dark places. Here's the great thing, that as God is working on this mess of a life, he leads us into the broken places of the world. Not once we're finished, not once we somehow rise above the mess, not once we remove all brokenness from our life and we're over here in beauty and glory. But in the midst of the brokenness is this beauty of saying, I'm going to lead you into the messy places and broken people of the world. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you to do this. Just shine. You just shine in that dark place. Bind up the wounds of people. Be a companion to people as best you can. In my power. Instruct people. Warn people. Comfort people. Walk with people. Protect those who don't have the protection. Move into these broken places and that will come from that. In the midst of the yuck is right where you'll see the beauty. I had two very sort of poignant moments that put on display something that we all know to be true in the Christian church, and that is this. Every single person is immeasurably valuable. I left on a flight from San Jose to Chicago on my way to Kentucky, as I flew over Tahoe and was just marveling at looking at Tahoe from way high above and the colors of it and hiking trails and we know this place well. About 20 minutes later or so, I see up to my left a flight attendant about eight rows up and she's hitting the dinger button. She's going like this to the front of her crew and I'm like, whoa. We had a medical emergency that caused us to have to turn the plane around and go land in Reno. No one knew what was happening, but I'm sitting here. Two of my Foster Bay teammates are here. Someone's here. We just began to pray. They asked that question you see in the movies. Is there, anyone, is there a doctor in the house? Two women got up, one right behind me, one other, and they came and they began to care for this person. We land in Reno. Medical emergency people rush on, get this person off. And the two women are there that have been serving and helping. And they hug, and the whole plane erupts in applause. You know, I didn't hear a single word about it. I got a plane to catch. What's the holdup? Whole plane erupts in applause. We spent the night in Chicago. We weren't supposed to spend the night in Chicago. We missed our flight too. Yesterday morning, I get home. I've been gone for a week. I take little Tate, little buddy out for a little time together. We found ourselves at Stan's Donuts in Santa Clara. Who knew? My car just went there. I don't know how it happened. It's this donut shop you, you gave me, Lord. I don't know what happened. We're there. We're waiting in line. It's packed. It's Saturday morning. All of a sudden... I see a glazed donut with a candle and a lighter going. I'm like, oh, cool. It's someone's birthday. It was one little candle. They come over to the counter. And she calls out. She says, hey, it's little so-and-so's birthday today. A packed donut shop with such a wide variety of people. I saw a man there eating his donut with a fork and knife. And a guy who looked like he's been at the donut shop since 1959. (laughs) When the shop first opened, I mean, a wide swath of people. You know what we did? 
we belted at the top of our lungs, happy birthday. This little one-year-old will have no memory of it except for the video that mom was taking. You know what's powerful? The value of every life was seen in both of those moments. Here's the powerful thing. Most of the people singing could not even see the kid they were singing to. Most of the people on that plane had no visual on who we were being completely rerouted for. They didn't see their physical beauty. They didn't check their resume. Let me see what this guy did before we turn around. Does he deserve it or not? Immediately, that first year of life, that's worth celebrating. That's God in us, you guys. That person that was taken ill and we had to turn a plane around, we said, absolutely, that's now more important than anything we're doing. Let me invite the band uh, to come on up right now. Eve was loved by God. Eve was used by God. Eve was never abandoned by God. And Eve lived a mess of a life. She had a mess of a husband. She had a mess of a family. Keep reading in Genesis. And in all of that, God did what God specializes in. He redeems. He takes the mess and doesn't remove it from us so that we're no longer broken. Right in the midst of the mess, there's beauty. How about Mary? Loved by God, used by God, never abandoned by God, and she was a mess. She struggled and failed along with the rest of the human race. And she was blessed in her mess. Moms, let me speak directly to you. Future moms, listen carefully. These two moms show us a powerful truth for every mom. If you are a mom, if God makes you a mom through biological means, legal means, or even spiritual means, that it never quite becomes official, but you've just sort of adopted this person into your life, God has and is equipping you to meet the task at hand. The main good work that God has given you is to mother your children. It doesn't end there. There's other kinds of things God will call you to. But give priority to that. They have no other mom but you. You know what else? It never ends. I know of a story right now in our midst that would give, that are giving praise to God through texting of a God that redeems stories. There's a mother mothering right now in a difficult situation, years after her kids showed up in this kind of video this morning. Your mothering never ends. Here's my closing word to all, but especially to those who are doing the good work of mothering. It's to consider the lilies of the field. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles and the small humans living in your house... Seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God, we hold with open hands and look at with loving reality the mess that we inhabit. It hurts. It's gross. It's frustrating. And you've just given us clear instruction. Sufficient for the day is its own mess. Its own trouble. God, we look to you as the one who will continue to parent us through. We thank you that as we parent, it drives us to be an obedient child in you. Give us the grace to do so. Amen.